0: bring it in great option is here and the los angeles rams are super bowl champions matthew stafford sean mcveigh aaron donald will never be talked about without mentioning the fact that they are Super Bowl champions once again. uh, We are recording on Valentine's Day. Whoever, the one oversight with this extra week is how did we not realize that there are going to be years where Valentine's Day and the Super Bowl coalesce? And you could say like, okay, well, Sunday's his day, Monday's her day, whatever, but yikes. Uh, Not great. So uh, the one of the crew who is married is fulfilling his husbandly duties. And it's me and Vita, so uh, the two single guys on the pod, wrapping it down, talking football on Valentine's Day, which seems pretty fitting. All things I considered. love this.
1: If if there was anything I could do for Valentine's Day, it's hop on hop on with Jeff and talk some football. So uh, I'm pretty excited.
0: Well, especially it's like um, it's like in Parks and Rec. Remember they had she has Valentine's Day. And all the girls get together and they do their their little thing. It's like the male equivalent of Valentine's Day. We just get together and we just talk about the Super Bowl and and have a beer uh, and and reminisce on what was a spectacular season and what was a a really good game, you know? Like Mm -hmm. I've spent the last 24 hours or so since the game, which it would have just kicked off by the time we're recording now. But thinking about it, and I've heard people say it was an awesome game all-time playoff run, which I I do agree, like the playoffs as a whole were spectacular. Uh, But a lot of people, too, are saying, like, it's kind of a boring game. There wasn't a whole lot going on. We had a running back throw a touchdown pass. You know, we had some controversy. The injuries were were a bummer, but we had some gritty, gutsy performances. And we had a fourth-quarter two-minute drive to go down and win a Super Bowl. Uh, With a team down a touchdown, nonetheless, even though they did get some help to get there, which we'll get into later on in the pod. In my book, one possession, three points, the team that was the underdog covers the spread, that's a good Super Bowl. That That's just a good Super Bowl. Absolutely.
1: Like you said, if you have a team winning money line other than the, the spread team covering, I mean, that's what we had here. And we also had uh, a team where it wasn't like a, a late touchdown to get them to that point, right? Like it was actually the Rams going down, scoring, the Bengals having an opportunity. And this is really the first time in six, seven weeks where we saw really the Bengals offense, not go and score in that situation. So more credit to the Rams, right. For being the first team in two months or whatever it's been to stop, uh, you know, the Bengals in a last second drive, which just hasn't happened. So it it almost seemed, I don't know about you, Jeff. It seemed like, Oh, of course they're going to go score. We might get overtime. Could they score a touchdown? And then all of a sudden it, it ended, which again, I think that, that kind of um, goes to people's point of, Oh, it's kind of boring or anticlimactic. You might want to say, but for, for those of us, diehard football fans it was like man Aaron Donald just and what he did on third and one let alone on the fourth and one uh, there was some amazing football to be played in the trenches all over the field this was so much fun for me to watch I loved this Super Bowl
0: I, I thought it was a really good game like <clears throat> I get that it probably I think because of what we've been Shown and like almost led to expect out of Joe Burrow in the playoffs, <laughs> and out of what we saw from Mahomes and Josh Allen, that it's you know you have the great the best steak of your life, and you know, one night and the next night you try to make it at home and it doesn't taste as good. Like when you when it's the uh, what is the the phrase right? Comparison is the thief of joy. Right? If we try to compare what this was to what the rest of the Super Bowl run and, and the rest of the playoffs were, it, it doesn't hold up, but on its own it was a really it was a really good game with with a bunch of exciting plays opening up the second half with a 75 yard touchdown and then following that up immediately with an interception i mean the way the momentum just completely swung in a matter of two plays to all of a sudden it's like holy shit like the, the Bengals are gonna win this like they almost and you actually said something similar to this um you were talking more about the first half uh on on friday's pod and we were getting her for the super bowl but if the, if the bangles hit that streak a little too early, you know, right. and and they kind of did. And you also have to think about this too. Like the big plays were outliers. So I understand from the other perspective of saying like, this was actually a boring game. Well, for a lot of it, it kind of was right. We saw the Rams have three or four consecutive three and outs, right. We saw the Bengals have three, consecutive in and outs in the second half like we, we saw some some not great football the injuries definitely brought it down but all things considered I thought it was a really good Super Bowl uh, and, and I learned just how much I love Joe Burrow because I going into this game I was like <laughs> yes I love like I do like Joe Burrow I've always loved Joe Burrow I'm, I'm a fan but I'll be happy if the Rams win too I was not happy last night I was bummed I was really really bummed it felt like one like it felt like a regular season eagles loss really
1: did it yeah, yeah I, it really I did tell feel it, that much because you and scotty we, we have the group text and you guys were definitely bumming out and for me it was like uh i was definitely excited because i think the game ended on defense and mm-hmm. for me there was a lot more defensive presence which um in the playoff run as exciting as it's been it hasn't been as much uh defensive focused you could say uh uh, successful on the defensive side of the ball for most teams so i was really excited to see that um i also did uh before we dive in i I, and we kind of have but i I do have to say i i did a new tradition i started a new tradition for myself all right which was um before the super bowl i drove i was in ohio i'm in philly now just flew back but like drove down to canton Mm. went to the hall of fame um walked around Sign up for the yearly pass. I'm in the MVP club because why not? Love those guys and so why not? Fuck uh, it. I also found it's tax deductible. Shout out. Uh, there you go. So everyone sign up. But no, the point is that going through and seeing greatness and seeing a Lombardi Trophy and seeing all of the, the busts, right of all these Hall of Famers and watching older, um, you know, some older Super Bowls during this week because they're on NFL Network or wherever you're you're watching sports, ESPN, and then. From there walking through and seeing every single Super Bowl ring. And it, like it just it got me in the moment. Um, driving the hour back to Cleveland, I was listening to just NFL films music. And I have <laughs> to say, like, I was so ready for yesterday. So I also think the buildup is what led me to have such a great Super Bowl experience as well. Yeah. yeah I, tradition
0: I, sure. I love that tradition. Go, go hit up Canton. I mean, nothing will get you ready to watch the Super Bowl more than like how many people go to Canton and go like, damn, like, like on a summer trip. And like, I'm going to watch football now. Or like, you know, like, Oh man, I wish, you know, I wish you go home and watch a big game. Like you, you literally did that. Like you went to the hall of fame and then went back. Were there a lot of people? Was it really busy?
1: No. And there were, there were probably about everyone. There was a Bengals fan. Um, so, and again, it's probably like three or four hours from Cincinnati, but they're obviously scattered throughout the state. And um, yeah, mostly Cincinnati fans. There was some Joe Burrow gear in there, which was pretty cool to see. Yeah, you this sent us a picture a, of that. Yeah, I couldn't believe it because they'll rotate things throughout, like, what's going on now in the NFL. And and they had some Joe Burrow gear from, like, this last run he had. So that's awesome. Really cool to see. But, um, yeah, man, it was uh, it was quite the day. I, it, it didn't feel like kickoff was as late as it was. I don't know about you. It, was
0: it later yeah. than normal?
1: No no, I just it's just like 6:30. I think in the winter when you say 6:30 and sunset yeah. and it's like whatever like it's day's kind of done. But for a Sunday in the Super Bowl it was like, oh, we got we got all day, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like,
0: <laughs> it was but well so the waste management open was on which if you're not familiar is probably the most entertaining uh, golf event of the year that's not a major. Right, like in terms of the energy, like the environment around it is spectacular. The sixteenth hole there is a par three, and the entire thing they build grandstands around, so it's sort of like a stadium hole. And there were two holes in ones. It was it was so like I was pretty locked into to the golf because that like kind of helped me get through the day. Did some cleaning, you know. We did food. We did a you know a slow cook like barbecue in the crock pot and uh and, and made some food and it was just me and my my one buddy and uh, and roommate andrew and that was pretty much it man like it was low-key but like i was listening to i had saved a couple of podcasts i wanted to listen to so i had the podcast going all day while i was cleaning kind of doing like busy time and then had the golf on in the background so uh, i'm with you though because by the time we were getting to kickoff and everything i was like i was like a little antsy like i was a little like all right like let's Let's get this going because it was the whole thing too. Like I was stoked for the halftime performance, which was phenomenal. And, and we're going to talk about that at the end of it. Like it was, it was so good. And the, but the game itself, um, I think the people involved, the teams, both are likable teams. If you're, unless you're like a rival fan base or whatever, Joe Burrow's obviously incredibly likable. And I think Stafford and the Rams are, are likable, right? Like I, I think people still remember the Super Bowl from a couple of years ago. And I think a lot of people, who are you know more neutral fans? We're looking at this like, hey, it's a win-win, right? It's a Super Bowl without Tom Brady, and uh, or or Patrick Mahomes. Like how you know how many times? If from from think about the last twenty years, but then go fifteen years ahead of us, are we going to be able to say stuff like that? Where it's like, over this thirty-year stretch. Tom Brady was in a third of the Super Bowls and Patrick Mahomes was in another seven. And, you know, by the time it's all said and done. So to have something like this that feels like a unique matchup, we talked about that on the pod before, how it, everything about it feels like a very just unique, different Super Bowl. You know, like I think back to like when the Chargers with Dan Fouts and those teams like made the Super Bowl, like it always felt like an outlier for whatever reason and Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's because it's the fan base it's the chargers or whatever or just historically that team doesn't have a lot of success but there are super certain super bowls that just stick out a certain way like i think the cardinals and steelers super bowl is kind of that way too where it's like that was a good game but that game like wasn't a whole lot different than this one right ended on a big touchdown catch one position game couple defensive plays really big plays some officiating stuff like it's just different and I think it's just going to stick in our minds a little bit differently. And I, I just, I, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. I I thought the whole thing was good. Other than again, I found myself being a much bigger Joe Burrow fan than, than I realized. Cause like (laughs) I can, I can like, you know, temper down stuff for the pod and and be unbiased when we're talking on here. But like when you're watching the game, just like your visceral gut reaction is like you, you, you learn a lot about it. Right. And like when I go insane to the Eagles, it's, you know, it's because I'm an Eagles fan and like reacting certain ways because I was really pulling for Joe Burrow uh, made me realize, yeah, I just I think I just love Joe Burrow. I just love and it. It would have been so good. And I had a great analogy I wanted to use on on Friday's pod that I didn't get a chance to. But I realized who Joe Burrow is like the perfect analogy for who Joe Burrow is. Who? he's Ferris Bueller. Man, that's such a good one. If he was, if anybody wow. else other than Matthew Broderick played Ferris Bueller, he would have been an asshole. You, No one would have liked Ferris Bueller, but there was something about Ferris Bueller that made people just like him and Matthew Broderick, that made him such a lovable and likable character. But if you look at his actions, you'd be like, that's, it's kind of an asshole. If anyone else wears the outfit Joe Burrow wears and on Super Bowl Sunday, they're getting crushed. Instead it's, Oh my God, Joe Burrow's amazing. When he wore the blue or the purple tinted sunglasses would have been the exact same thing. When he, when he says things that are like cocky, like, you know, he, he believes that this was in the pre-draft process, but you know, somebody asked him like, do you think you could like, Score on an NBA court. And he's like, I think I could score 15 easy. I could wake up and do it tomorrow. And he was like a sick basketball player. He was a Mr. Basketball in Ohio too. Like he was an unbelievable basketball player. But all of that arrogance that could be, it's either arrogance or confidence, depending on who it has. And for Joe Burrow, it's always confidence. And for some reason, we don't look at him and go, that dude's a cocky asshole, like you would say about Baker. You say, no, that that dude's awesome. I fucking love that guy. So, I wanted to say it last, but it doesn't—it doesn't, no, it doesn't hold as much weight as it that's does now. That's a good now. one. Um, enough Bengals talk, though, because we do have to dive yes. in to the team that won the Super Bowl, the Los Angeles Rams. Unbelievable run! Uh, they from the very start of the season, and we talked about it—the Week Three Super Bowl and all that stuff when they beat Tampa Bay. You know, this team has more guys, more dudes on their team. It's all these names you recognize. We went in depth talking about the way that they've built this team and changed the culture and. I didn't even realize this. I was listening to um, Trent Dilfer on the Ryan Russillo pod today. And he was saying the same thing I said a week ago about how revolutionary this is. And what I didn't even realize was how much shit McVay and Les Snead got in the, uh, like in NFL circles being like, Oh, you think you can challenge the way we do things here? Like, come on. Like we've been doing this for a hundred years. You know, we know how this is done kind of mentality and they were unapologetically themselves and 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 i to the very bitter end like the whole theme of this super bowl was like the rams did it like frank sinatra they did it their way you know i no matter what they were they were going to live or die by going after guys and taking chances to try to win right now mortgaging the future right is the line you always hear and they took that chance to go show up and do it now and those players showed out everything that they meant and wanted to do by making these moves, whether it was Odell in, in, at the trade deadline, whether it was going out and um, you know getting Von Miller, whether it was two or three years ago when they made the trade for Jalen Ramsey and they're like, no, this guy's going to be a Stallworth on our team for a long time. Obviously, the most you know, glaring example of this is Matthew Stafford. The fact that Matthew Stafford is a Super Bowl champion quarterback now is because the Rams saw something and challenged a way of thinking that NF, the NFL just hadn't been challenged in a way before. And now that it's worked and they've won the Super Bowl, I do think it's going to change the way that some teams approach this. There's going to be more teams being aggressive at the trade deadline and, and making moves and saying, screw this. We want to win right now. We got a five-year window. We're going to win right now. We'll worry about the five years after that when we get there.
1: I agree. And I think this is a slippery slope, like any team who's trying to replicate someone else is right. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: the thing for me is that this is in a league where most GMs and coaches don't have that much, especially what we saw last year, uh, or this past like couple weeks, I guess you could say, but um, a lot of guys don't have that much time. And I think that a lot of times uh, GMs, especially, right. They don't want to mortgage the future. And, and that's a great term because, what happened here is they, the Rams did that and it worked. Now a lot of teams are going to do this and it's not going to work. And I think we're going to, if, if teams try to do this, right. You may fail and they trade for Imagine If Stafford got injured all year and, and uh-huh. I, I'm knocking on wood, I, I would never wish that on anybody, but like that happens. They're like, where's our future. If Stafford, like, is he going to make it back? We don't have a quarterback now. Like all that stuff. And a lot of fans would have said, well, Goff got us there once. You don't think he could have done it again, right? Like this could have gone horribly wrong. And and we talked about it a lot on on last week's pod, but I do think there's something to just be congratulated towards the Rams, Lesnied and and, and obviously McVay and all of the coaches that have come before that have taught their players and and have gone on to be head coaches and coaches that are there now. I mean, what a special group and um, really hats off to the whole organization because it took a lot to go get Odell. Right, that was not an easy move, and especially when they stole Robert Woods. And then that week, Robert Woods gets injured, and and Odell in the Super Bowl again makes that touchdown catch before he gets injured. He was unbelievable.
0: Difference. He was. He looked so good, and I think Stafford Stafford missed him on one too in the first quarter. Like he the touchdown catch and throw was spectacular, and it's interesting too because obviously like. I don't know how much weight to put on the injuries because when you look at how the game unfolded, it wasn't that dissimilar to how a lot of Rams games have gone where they look really good right off the bat and they go down, score a touchdown, they take an early lead and then they slowly start to blow it. But I noticed that it felt significantly different when Odell wasn't on the field. Like really this, did. this to me was like, if Odell plays in that game, I think it's a blowout, but I think Odell, getting hurt opened a window and obviously the momentum swing of that too. And the way that these guys talked about him, like Odell gets a ton of shit, but he's revered by his teammates for a reason because he is considered to be a, like a phenomenal teammate. That's pretty much anyone who's ever played with them has said that. And that's going back to like Eli Manning and, and those days in New York. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a reason why, like when Jarvis Landry and those guys were pulling so hard to get him there, it just wasn't a right fit. I don't think schematically, for him in Cleveland. I think that was just a weird fit. And I think Cleveland was starting to taste some success. And they said, fuck it, we're going to go out. We're going to try to get this super talented player um, mm-hmm. going back to kind of what we were talking about there before. Right. And, and the way that the Rams challenged it, because that's the downside. You can go out and, and bring in a big name and, and mortgage assets in hopes that it's going to help you win more games. But more often than not, we see what happens with Cleveland where the situation doesn't work out or like you said, the player ends up getting hurt, which is a, a, an unbelievable testament to the job Sean McVay's done this year, like as a yeah. leader, like to manage all these personalities and to get the buy in of grown men and not just grown men, but grown ass men who are superstars, guys who are multi time pro bowlers, one of the greatest to ever do it and Aaron Donald, one of the best wide receivers of this generation. Jalen Ramsey. Think about. Remember the headache that people used to talk about Jalen Ramsey when he was in Jacksonville. Remember, like he he literally rented a Brinks truck to drive to spring or to drive to training camp in Jacksonville (laughs) because they wouldn't they weren't going to give him the contract, and he literally like rolled up to practice in a Brinks truck, like all of this stuff. And then he goes to LA, and we don't you don't hear a thing about it anymore. And I think that so much of that has to do with Sean McVay.
1: So he you know
0: deserves a, a ton of credit in, in this whole, this whole run.
1: Well, and it really, it really shows up when your biggest players in the biggest game that you went out and got pulled through, right? Like Stafford. Okay. Yeah. He had three touchdowns and two picks. One of them was clearly a throw up and, and it was picked off in the end zone. Um, when you look at, what Odell did before he was out three quarters of the game, but in mm-hmm. the first quarter, he scored a touchdown and made his difference. Well-known he had like five catches or something. It was two had, two
0: catches for 52 yards.
1: 52? Yeah. Either way it was. Yeah. Something 52 sounds about right. God, that guy's talented, man. And, and then you look at Vaughn Miller, he came up with two sacks. And so when you start looking at these pieces that they just chose to add, you know, of all of them, you could say that, Really, Ramsey played the worst out of these star pieces, but he did enough to win. I mean, he he really did. I mean, you think about the fact that Jamar Chase is under a hundred receiving yards. I mean, that's honestly
0: pretty well, that was the amazing. only mistake. Amazing. That was the only mistake that Ramsey made all night was the first quarter, the deep ball to Jamar Chase, which was a yep. stupid catch. And oh, he got that one hit. Oh yeah. man. And he got Ramsey to bite for a second, and Chase got him back. But even like the touchdown pass to Higgins. Like yeah, that, yeah. that face mask like, affected the play. He, yeah, he lost yeah, sight. I, I get that it was like a graze and, and it wasn't a full grab. And I, my guess is the NFL officiating would say that they missed that. You know, if you ask them about yeah. it today, but it wasn't like egregious. However, the impact on the play itself was substantial. Agreed, and so
1: you could tell he was slowing down to jump back towards it yeah. and like cut off the receiver. And then he just, his, because of the little, like, like you said, I don't think it was like a, a yank. It was like a grabbing.
0: It was a grit. It was stopping, a swipe.
1: You're keeping momentum going. Yeah. yeah. And so it was a swipe and going
0: and the grippiness of the gloves and the rubbery material that they have on the outside of the face mask, like just they, they stick and it just moved with them. And it was, you know, it, it, it definitely should have been called like, you know, face mask, but you know, the refs missed it. Yeah, You take that play out. And and leave in the first one, the 41, the 40 yard play, uh yeah. throw. I think it was like 48 yards to Jamar Chase, um, or 46 yards. But you take out that T Higgins 75 yard touchdown, yards per uh completion for Joe Burrow drops to 3.8. Whoa. Yeah. So wow, that says a lot about what this Rams team did defensively. And, and you said it right off the top there, right? That, the determining factor of this game was defense because both defenses played really well. Like the Bengals defense played great. They were gassed by the end of it. Uh, And and just like their defensive line was gassed, the offensive line for Cincinnati, especially in that fourth quarter, you could, you could just feel it, you know, like every single time, every time they got up for the next play, there was just nothing from that front. There was, there was just nothing. And Joe Burrow had – there's nothing else he, he could have done. There's no. I don't think there's a quarterback other than Lamar who could have done more with what he had in front of him going against that line because they did a good job on Aaron Donald. They got lucky a few times on one-on-ones uh, in the first half. But once they started overloading that one side and, and really basically setting Aaron Donald up to just have one-on-ones with an interior offensive lineman, it was a wrap. It, it, it was an absolute wrap. And this Bengals offense who got hit the big play, which was the touchdown and then get the interception after that touchdown, they had four, three and outs in a row because the Rams were just that much better than them defensively. And there was, there was nothing that the Bengals offensive line could have done going up against those units. Like people, it's so funny. We talk about um, Aaron Donald and Von Miller, right? Those are the two names to talk about. Leonard Floyd had a nine and a half sacks this season like that that do generate
1: a lot of pressure on the other side that in this a game ton. a lot of pressure yeah a ton and he can he can I do a bunch of different stat, things too i saw this stat last night so of course after the super bowl was done i was so sad i re-watched the super bowl because what well, i don't know what else to do um so
0: you uh, just ran it back just watched it again
1: yeah yep yeah, yeah um i fast forwarded through some stuff but and then I watched the post game and everything, like like a lot of us would. But I saw this stat I've never seen this before: Rams pass rush, right? Seven sacks, it tied the most in suitable history. But they had an eighty six percent pass rush win win rate, wow. and that's the highest by any team this entire season. Wow! So that goes to your point of I mean, it it was everyone, everyone was getting through, and and on one play or another, even though when Donald at one point they showed him triple teamed and he jumps and, and like it's zoomed in on him and he kind of like jumps up for joy this is in the in the post game like analysis and he jumps up and you're like what is he jumping up for it's cuz two guys went around and got a sack right but that yeah. was all to do with him gobbling up three offensive linemen there you, no one could stand up with one on ones against this rams defense it was special
0: yeah and it's funny cuz i i saw the inverse of that stat which isn't exactly 80 or 16% or whatever whatever it would be but it was 13.3% pass block lose rate or win rate, uh, I guess. technically. Wow. So, yeah. So that's, that's how they're all the, the, basically the offensive lineman for the Bengals, only one quote unquote, 13% of the time. Right. Which, which probably
1: means like clean pocket. Like, you know, you're yeah. not getting rushed or hit,
0: which same as the other one was the worst of any offensive line all season. <laughs> in, and yeah. in every single NFL game. So it was absolute, it was absolute dominance. And I think I know the play you're talking about too, because I, it might be different, but there was a play where Collinsworth said, uh, you, know, all, you know, all this. Now here's uh, a guy. Yeah. He goes, <laughs> oh, wow. They got all that, that same guy, Aaron Donald, just busting up the middle, just getting in there. And then they, as he's talking about that, they show the replay. And the two there were two other guys who were like right around Joe Burrow. And then it was just three guys left alone on, on Aaron Donald. And it's like he had three guys and he was still the most disruptive force on that thing. And because he's taken up three guys, then yeah, it was a two on one with uh, Jonah Williams on the outside. And there's, there's not a player in the league who can handle that. Not when it's Leonard Floyd or, you know, take whatever combination of of those guys on the D line, other than Aaron Donald that you want, those guys are going to win one-on-ones or in this case, a two-on-one, a literal two-on-one in the NFL on the offensive line. That's what Joe Burrow was going up against. And Nothing, this isn't taking anything away from the Rams. Like the fact that the Bengals offensive line sucks is not an uh, indictment against the Rams. It's the exact opposite. It's this this Bengals offensive line held up against, you know, a lot of teams. I know there were the nine sacks against Tennessee, but they played better in that game against Tennessee than they played last night. And that, again, says a lot about just how dominant the LA Rams were. And they were at that seven sack number and like early in the third quarter. They, they had it still yeah. again is crazy cuz I, I, it just felt like from that like that was when the pressure started ramping up was third yeah, quarter to like,
1: fourth quarter i think they had one in the first half maybe like it, the third quarter it was just there were a couple drives where it was just like oh man sack like you know rush throws it away whatever short completion that was it and and the bengal's like i think that third quarter after you know they came out and had a huge strike and then the turnover and the Rams really held it together from that point in and it kind of reined it back in. They talked about it in the broadcast, obviously that like, you know, longer half time, all that stuff. Will, it really does have an effect on the players in the game, but I, I mean, credit to the Bengals for coming out and saying, you know, what? we're going to, we're going to shoot it deep. We're just going to take a shot, like, see if that's kind of lulled you at all. And then on the flip side, you know, getting the pick and, and really running. I, I think you're right. Like it was like, man, the Bengals have a, have a chance here, and, but all the credit to the Rams in the world for standing their ground saying, no, we got to go get this. It felt, I, I, I don't know why. And I think maybe it's just, this could be a narrative and tell me if I'm wrong here, Mm -hmm. but it felt like the Rams were more, they seemed desperate to win. At least Aaron Donald did like, and I don't know if that had to go, had to do with things. Again, during this game, I'd never seen it before. We heard that Aaron Donald might retire. We heard Sean McVay might retire. Yeah, and and it was all this stuff going on at, in the third quarter as you're seeing these guys start to like get their ass kicked real quick, right? By by Joe Burrow and and, and a quick score and, and turnover, and you're wondering, man, is this the Rams? Like, is this it for them? What's going on? They have, yeah. you know, some some more veterans, but all the credit to them in the world for holding it together, getting back in and staying in this game. Um absolutely incredible for them to fight that off because it's I mean, we've seen the Bengals be an onslaught to stop.
0: Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. Um, I-, I think to your to your point there, that tenacious mentality, right? That like fearlessness that they seem to show, I think that's a product of what we were talking about earlier with Sean McVay and getting these guys to buy in because. You're getting professional superstars to buy in, but not just buy in it in a way that's like, oh, they're locked in for this game or whatever. They're bought in on a level that's like high school, college football, right? When guys, because I've played with enough or I've played, I've worked with enough former NFL guys to know that uni- universally, if you ask them like when did you have the most fun playing football? What are your favorite football memories? It's high school and it's college. It's not the NFL. Even guys who have won Super Bowls, it's not, it's not the NFL. And they're like, don't get me wrong. Winning a Super Bowl feels incredible. It's one of the greatest feelings of all time. He's like, but there's something about Friday night lights in high school. You're going out with, the, with your boys, with your squad. It's this brotherhood, you know, same thing in college, that there's just nothing that replaces it. It's one of the reasons why a lot of people who are purists when it comes to college football hate the NIL and hate the playing, paying the players thing. Because it is such a unique, it's one of the last few truly unique things we have in sports that doesn't feel as transactional as the NFL does, right? As much as of, of a business right. as the NFL does. And so Sean McVay got these superstars, these $100 million guys to buy in at that level, to buy in at a level where it's like, I'm doing this for something more than myself. So that way I can win a championship. It, and, and I know that sounds super cliche, but there is a true distinct difference between the two. Right. There is some it's so many guys in the NFL play because they're like, I'm getting a sick paycheck and I'm going to ride this out for as long as I can. And then there are guys who love football. And then there's teams that love football, which I think the Bengals are one of those teams, but just aren't as talented. And then there's the super talented teams that can never fully buy in. And then somewhere in the middle is where you find your Super Bowl champions almost every single year. a team that has a ton of talent, but buys in to a almost childlike love of the game in preparation for what is going to be the biggest game of your life. And that team so often is able to do that. And that's like one of the things about Tom Brady, people talk about They're like, Tom Brady is the coolest guy. Like mm-hmm. you would, you would love to have a beer with him, not just cause he's Tom Brady. If he was Tim Schmady coming in and from Iowa and you sat yeah, down at yeah. a bar, you'd be like, I love this guy. This guy's awesome. I want to keep hanging out and drinking with this guy. And, but it's Tom Brady. Who who can create that and facilitate that in a locker room, and and the rant and it's kind of similar to like, you know, and I know it always compared to that Super Bowl championship Eagles team, but like there was something special about that team. There's there's no logic to talk about it. Nick Foles should zero times out of out of a hundred should beat Tom Brady in a Super Bowl, but he did over five hundred yards or whatever. Yeah. It was. yeah. I mean, yeah. Like it was an
1: incredible performance. I agree. That's like the Doug Peterson brought them together, and I think you're right. Like McVeigh has that because. And here's the proof of that. When you watched anyone in postgame, I'm talking McVeigh, um, Von Miller, uh, who obviously I'll mm-hmm. start with, but but Aaron Donald, um, uh, Stafford, Ramsey, Cooper all Cobb. of them, yeah, all of them. When when they said like they were all so excited to win it for somebody else. Stafford said he wanted to win it for Donald. Donald said he wanted to win it for Stafford. Like it was all back and forth, and it wasn't like like they were so happy to win it for McVeigh and. They were happy to win, I'm sure, but you could tell because all of their point it wasn't like I've been dreaming of this since I was a kid. It was like, man, Matt deserves We did one. this
0: together. Yeah, like yeah, like we like, we put in this work together. This brotherhood. Like those are words they like I took brother word from watching or brotherhood from watching the post game interviews when he was up with when Donald and um and Von Miller were talking with Chris Berman. You know, like, which I still love that they send Boom out there to do that. I loved that, right? I love Chris Berman. I love Chris Berman. Not that I want anybody to listen to other pods other than ours. um, But part of my take did an episode with Chris Berman last week that is an interview that is beyond spectacular. Everything Um. you would want to see from Chris Berman, from two guys who absolutely idolize the shit out of Chris Berman too. Which if you you grew up in the last 30 years watching football, you love Chris Berman. It's just... It's such a sad thing that modern day kids don't get to grow up. They'll be like, who's the old guy that's on? Like, that's, that's not okay. I know. In, Him in and Madden
1: book. like were the two pillars in my childhood of
0: football. I would agree. Uh, I would, yeah. And I would say they're probably the two guys who are non-players, which I know Madden played at some level. He didn't play in the NFL, but they're the two guys who were non-NFL players who might've had the biggest impact on why people love football Yeah, Madden and and Chris Berman. Um, but I, I did want to bring up one thing about
1: the Rams approach versus the Bengals. And we touched on this last week. <clears throat> so after our pod, which debuted Friday, we recorded Thursday night, the NFL honors were going on. Right. Yeah. And I sent you guys this, this message, but I saw something I have never seen before. I, it, it, it made me like stand up because I got so excited. Hmm. It was Joe Burrow getting comeback player of the year. And so the Bengals were all in like their hotel in a conference room, spaced out. And the Rams players actually just went to the awards show, um, which was a, a difference, right? Like For a sure. distinct difference. And because like uh, Cooper Cup won Offensive Player of the Year, Andrew Whitworth won uh, Man of the Year, which is great. And also that story came out about him; he's the reason why in Cabo McVeigh connected with uh, yeah. with Stafford, yeah. and like it just so some cool stories coming out. But and then obviously the biggest one of him like telling a, a kid coming up to him and telling him during an NFL game afterwards, like, Hey man, like you spent time with me at the boys and girls club in Cincinnati when you were a young player in Cincy. And I just want to tell you, like, I listened to you and I made it and I'm in the NFL and like, dude, talk Joe about Burrow said that about Andrew Whitworth. No, no. Like someone else, a player, Dion Barnes. Oh, said that about Andrew Whitworth. Oh my yeah. God. Incredible. That's incredible. And, and he, and cause Andrew Whitworth was like 40. So like, makes sense. Uh yeah. But, um, Anyway, so as they're going up and doing these awards, Joe Burrow gets comeback player of the year. And Jamar Chase won offensive rookie of the year, I think. So he walks up and gets his and just like takes it and walks away. And Joe Burrow walks up to get comeback player of the year. And there's an award sitting in front of him on a stand. And the microphone's right in between him and the award. And he's talking and he just says like, thanks to all the trainers, right? My coaches, the playing, the players that helped me get here, um, and he goes, you know, this like, I really appreciate all the effort um, that everyone else put into me to like help me get here. And, he, and then he just said, uh, I'm excited for this weekend and turns around and doesn't even touch the award. Like, really? He did and not like a disrespectful way. Again, it's the Ferris Bueller effect of like, I saw him do that. And I was like, that guy doesn't give a shit about any award except for the Super Bowl. Like, I fucking love this guy. Was that like, like
0: a like, was it like a prop trophy? Like, or did the other guys grab theirs, too? Or?
1: Yeah, no, it was a real one because Jamar Chase had they had his there too, and he got his in the same hotel thing. So they wow. put it there, and he just—you could tell—he had no interest in like. It's like I'm when sure-
0: um when Belichick won, I forget what which AFC Championship game it was, but there was one where they handed him the AFC Championship trophy, and it's uh-huh. a it's a pretty funny gift, but like he just takes it and immediately he's just like whatever. Like he just he's like, there. it's like I, I this is the tenth of these that I've won. I don't I don't care. Just take it away from me i don't need this like it's right. it, yeah
1: joe burrow is a second year quarterback it's incredible like the that demeanor goes
0: back to the ferris bueller thing and when oh, joe yeah. B- when joe burrow does it we love it if baker mayfield did it we it would you know because i didn't even hear this story like it, it's right. it's incredible to me that i had that with all the stuff going on i didn't even hear this story and and it's the case um i do we do, we are going to hit on stuff on the Bengals here too but before we take a break uh Couple of guys we do need to talk about and focus more on with, with the Rams. So I'll give you I'll give you the options, right? We can go Stafford, we can uh, or we can go Cooper Cup.
1: Man, I, I think um I think we're gonna have to go Cooper Cup. Right. I mean, do we right? I, yeah, I mean he's I the Super Bowl Stafford. MVP. He's the
0: Super Bowl MVP. We and we haven't got a chance to talk about it. Um and I think that's that that's where I was leaning as well. Uh Cooper Cup's finishing off what is I, I'm sorry. And people are probably going to think this, maybe I'm being overdramatic, whatever. No, it's just facts. The greatest season any wide receiver has ever had in the history of the NFL. That, and what? I get, yeah. I get that there's the 17th game. I get there's the extra week. It throws some of the stats off. We have to do a better job as fans at analy- at, at analyzing people and, and critiquing people or talking about people uh, within the context of those who he competed against. Right. As like yes. this is a great example. Adding the number, uh, the extra game is going to completely screw off all historical numbers moving forward, just like it did when they went from 14 to 16 games. Uh, like it's just, it's just going to happen, right? So the extra game, we put that, we save in our back pocket. We also need to remember that uh, the game itself has changed over the years, right? What Jerry Rice did get compared to his contemporaries, I still will argue, will never be beat because it was so different, new, and that much better than those around him. When you compare it to what their contemporaries did in this season with the amount of unbelievable talent that exists at the wide wide receiver position in the NFL, the amount of amazing quarterbacks that are in the NFL, Cooper Cup just put together a season where he led the league in receiving yards, receptions, and receiving touchdowns won the offensive player of the year as a wide receiver, which is not that common historically, and was the Super Bowl MVP. And I think
1: he had had the most touchdowns in the playoffs that mm -hmm. any receivers had. He
0: beat beat Larry Fitzgerald's record uh, from the year that they went, that 2009 Super Bowl, when they lost to Pittsburgh. He had two in the Super Bowl, including a game winner, which – wasn't a, it wasn't an easy catch by any means um the first his first touch on was a little bit easier it's just a brilliant route yeah but the way he blocks the intensity which has, the the chemistry between he and stafford his ability to get open when they needed him most he's everything that you want he is if you took the julian edelman's and west welkers and those guys that we loved playing in the slot with tom brady right the little white guys who play slot and go uh play in new england He's like if you put them through the taffy puller from Willy Wonka and you just stretched them out a little bit and you made them like six foot three and the best athlete on the field because he's got all of those little intangibles that we always loved, you know, the, the details and the route running and, and the stuff that we loved about the Edelmans and the Welkers. But he's got the, the size and the athleticism and the big playability of all of the great wide receivers we've seen over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, especially in, in modern-day football, as passing's become that much more prevalent. And there's going to be pushback by people who say, "Oh, but Jerry Rice and Jerry and I, I get it. Jerry Rice is the goat, unquestioned. He's one of the few goats that I don't think will ever be touched because when you compare him to his contemporaries, he was that much further ahead, and compared yeah. to the people that came after him, he was still that much further ahead. Yeah, but for yeah. this this season, it's the best season any wide receivers ever had."
1: I think why I'm hesitant, you know, I'm a huge historian, right? I think there are three like, there are two people who are all time in my book. Don Hudson, he was a guy who, when he retired. I mean, there was a season he had where he had, um, he had like at, when he retired at one point, um, he was the first one to he had 99 touchdowns, and the next closest to him was 17. Like, that's mm-hmm. when he retired, right? Like, that's, I mean, he was just head and shoulders above everybody. Then there was Rice obviously head and shoulders like everyone who was even our age we caught the tail end of it but even when he was like old quote unquote right like brady played till he was 40 and everyone's like this is amazing jerry rice did at receiver right Mm -hmm. i mean like it was insane to think about that guy's just athleticism and how much work he put in but what cooper cup did this year especially when you have wide receivers around you go down you have a new quarterback coming in Right. I mean, there are a lot of things. There are a lot of excuses why he wouldn't get a triple crown and he still did it. And there are a lot of reasons why in the last drive with Odell out and everyone knew it was going to him that, you know what? He he would drop a contested catch or something would happen And his route running to your point. He changed his route running on the final drive to make sure he got separation. Yeah. He wasn't. It was backyard football.
0: It was literally like, we're drawing this up in the sand. Yeah, and, and you're and gonna you're, go ahead do we're a gonna curl,
1: f- you might run five yards forward, right? Shuffle, a turn back for a curl, and he might have gone one, two, three, fake inside, fake outside, then turn around just to change things up, just to make sure yeah. that the secondary wasn't clamping down on him, even though that was their only goal, right? He yeah. still succeeded against that. It was absolutely mind-blowing to see that last drive. In my opinion, that was that was one of the most remarkable last drives a wide receiver's had, even Santonio Holmes's catch from the Steelers. Cardinals, uh, Super Bowl you had mentioned earlier, even some of these other ones, like that to me stood out so strong, that last drive um, and, and what he did
0: to create separation when everyone knew he was getting the ball. I, I mean, it, it, and to that point too, like we've seen Kelsey and Hill be that dominant as individuals, right? In that same level where it's like, oh my God, it just doesn't matter. But they have each other on the same offense <laughs> and they they their skill sets perfectly blend to allow each other to succeed. And there was definitely a little bit of that with Robert Woods, but in the fourth quarter, with two minutes left, none of that matters. You're going yeah. on a drive right now. You got to go score a touchdown to win the Super Bowl. And your number, your number two and your number three wide receivers, or both of your number twos, however you wanted to, you know, split up OBJ and Robert Woods, are both out. Your third string tight end, Bryson Hopkins, is now in catching balls, and he had a great game. Shout out to to Bryson. Yeah. I used to work with his dad, Brad. Um, dad his his dad was a hall of famer uh well not hall of famer but a a wall of famer or team of famer for the titans one of the best titans of all time um and his dad actually played against the rams in um the 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 titans in which was it 99 um which is another all-time all-time ending and and all-time super bowl but Cooper Cup was able to do all of this knowing he's the number one option, knowing that he's he's getting protection, he's getting looks, he's getting disguised, he's getting double teamed on pretty much every single route that he's going to do. And the relationship he has with Matt Stafford is so uniquely special because they're like the, hey, we're getting up at 5 a.m. They, A lot of people made jokes about it all season, but they had breakfast together every morning. They came in at like 5.30 yeah. and had breakfast together, Stafford and Cooper Cup, and, they, and that, that is where all of this stuff comes from. Right. Like them winning the Super Bowl didn't start on the first of or, or, you know, first of September, end of August, whenever week one was. It didn't start when the kickoff came here in the Super Bowl. It started nine months ago when Matt Stafford got traded to the Rams and the two of them started working together. Like it's those hours and that chemistry and all the stuff that goes into it. That is just so, so special, which made it basically unstoppable. Right. That, That whole that whole final stretch was completely unstoppable and he looked as dangerous as Kelsey and, and Tyreek do together like that's how good he looked and it, you can have one other point here but I have one last stat here um the, the stat I talked about earlier right won the receiving triple crown, offensive player of the year and Super Bowl MVP there's only one other player in NFL history to have done all three of those things in their career and it was Jerry Rice and Cooper Cup did all three in this season
1: yeah, this it, uh, it's stunning when you hear that, right? Like, that is – that's something that I don't know if we'll see happen again. And we should just really take a moment, all of us, to remember this season and what Cooper Cup did because it kind of snuck up on us. Like, he was doing well, but then the Triple Crown, then uh, the playoff run, it wasn't really – like, he did his part, but the Rams were struggling at times. And then what he did in this game um, was absolutely – incredible. he was the most valuable player, in my opinion. Maybe Aaron Donald. I was going to say, I, I probably would have
0: given it to Aaron I, Donald, but,
1: but given I know the how vote it goes, goes, yeah. Yeah, that's the dumb part. The vote starts in the beginning of the fourth quarter, and then he makes the last two plays of the game, which we'll, we'll touch on, I'm sure, in a minute. But, like, you know, all that aside, offensively and, and up till that point, yes, Cooper Cup was incredible. And I, I want to say one last thing about both these guys, Stafford and Cup. These are two of the most humble guys we've seen at their positions. I mean, Cooper cup, again, he, he went up and gave a speech when he won offensive player of the year at, at um, the NFL honors, which was incredible, by the way, if you didn't see it, you'd love the opener with Keegan, Michael key he does a song. It was great, but he gave a speech and he's just so humble and, and Stafford's the same kind of way. Um, I, I'm just excited for them to win, but I do want to say this about Stafford. Um, you know, he has now helped, He's been the quarterback for the two best receiver seasons of all time with Calvin Johnson and Cooper cup. Yeah, it, there's something to be said about that. He's a super bowl champion. Now I hope we see him come back and, and continue to have success, but this right or wrong without a doubt changes his legacy Um, with all the 4,000 yard seasons and a 5,000 yard season. Like he, he now has cemented himself as one of those guys where, you know, he's not the best of his era, but is he good enough to be a hall of famer and, I think it's funny sometimes when you see, like, talk shows and you see, like, Phil Sims in there. And it's like, well, Phil Sims was good, but he was on a, one of the best defensive teams of all time, like yeah. the Giants, and and won some Super Bowls. Okay. But um, Stafford is in a little different situation. And I just want to say
0: that for... Uh, well, and, 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 and I, I mean, I wanted to hit on Stafford briefly before we took a break here, too. Just, I don't think it's enough for a Super Bowl or for, for a Hall of Fame yet. I, I just and i get it like the raw numbers, is when it's all said and done he's going to be in the top 10 in pretty much everything mm-hmm. uh, he has the super bowl but you know he's not a guy who's he's he's only been to one pro bowl like elected as like a like a without a, being a replacement and i and i get too he came in in an era you know like he was in a kind of forgotten era you know like the guys from that was like he was a little bit after rodgers you right. know, he was, he was right around the same time as Matt Ryan's, probably his, his closest contemporary Uh, Cam Newton came in a little bit there, but he was kind of in a forgotten era of quarterbacks that was sandwiched in between this generation of Brady and Manning and these guys who kept playing and winning late into their careers. And then this new crop of quarterbacks, starting with Russell Wilson and kind of everybody else we've had up until, you know, and, and since then. And I, I just think he, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle there and, it's not necessarily his fault. He played for the freaking Lions, and we saw what happens. <laughs> you know, if this had happened to him seven years ago, you know, it, it could be totally different. Um, but when when we talk about how you compare in eras and, and with context and everything, I I don't think just because the numbers will be there and he got the you know you need it's like almost like getting pre qualified, right? You know, like you need to get, you get pre-qualified <laughs> for a bank loan or whatever. Like, it's like the same thing, but like you need that for a Super Bowl. Like a Super Bowl is your pre-qualification for getting in to the Hall of Fame. And I, I will see the, how the rest of his career goes too. I mean, he could play for another five or six years with this Rams team. He's clearly not lost anything on, on his fastball. Uh, and, and the one thing too is that second and seven on the final drive when he hit cup through like three defenders and it was like a 22-yard game. That no look, the no, the fact that that was a no look, and I didn't know, I didn't know that until today, when I saw somebody break it down. I mean, Jeff Schwartz said it on Twitter. It's a great point, but he's like, if Mahomes does that, like the world shuts down. Like the world's like, oh my god, it's the greatest yeah. thing we've ever seen. Papers are flying everywhere. People are starting making out on couches just because <laughs> Patrick right. Mahomes made this unbelievable throw. But it's Stafford, and I would argue that the you know. The state of this, the importance of that moment to pull that shit off, knowing was, that you have no other option and he rips it and finally showcases why everyone fell in love with that talent so much in the first place. It's it's unbelievable, man. And so uh, nothing, nothing should be held against Stafford. And in fact, I hate the fact that we spend time talking about the Hall of, that our immediate reaction is to be like, oh, is, well, is Matt Stafford going to be a Hall of Fame? I don't know. Let's just say he was really fucking awesome last night and had a really awesome year and made some unbelievable plays. And he's a Super Bowl champion. And in 10 years, we'll have the conversation. But for now, appreciate the appreciate the greatness while it's displaying itself right in front of us. We do such a bad job of that in sports because we're always like, what's the next thing? What does this mean? Just watch it and be like, God damn, this like I'm watching the highlight on Twitter right now. This no look pass in slow motion is just fucking absurd it's just absolutely right he
1: had to do it too because if if he doesn't if he looks his receiver on the corner the the linebacker corner whoever is sitting that zone Mm -hmm. is deflecting it i mean Mm -hmm. 100 so now incredible game um absolutely incredible offensive performance by those two despite the numbers right like yeah it, it was so yeah
0: and you see and you see the other wide receiver sit short to put to basically like this is again one of those plays i think this is why i feel like they drew this up in the dirt like they said beforehand i'm going to do a no look pass right now we're going to set i've, I've it's the little slot receiver with the complicated last name he sits just a little curl curl right curl route right off to the right um hmm. five yards down the field sits there it, bang and there's a one guy who has him in in coverage and then the linebacker who drops back into coverage who is staring at him seeing Stafford staring him down he can see both makes the jump and then Stafford rips this no look pass like I have to guess that that was a a, like real planned no look pass like that was the design of the play because otherwise if he does that off the cuff then that's just even stupider but the fact that he might have actually planned it it's it's not human um all right we're gonna take a quick break come back we hit some on the bangles uh as well as just some of the other stuff around the game and uh, we'll get you on your way to your week for as great of a night as it was for the rams equally as uh disappointing for the bangles when i was thinking about this knowing i wanted to kind of split it up as like the winners versus the losers which is kind of fucked up and uh and i'm sorry Bengals fans out there listening to this but I, I did it because I I don't know what's the worst part about last night for the Bengals, right? You, you come down right away, and, and you get lit up by a few points. The Rams, all of a sudden, they're up double digits, and you're sitting there going like, well, we got the field goal, so it was 7-3, to and then another touchdown, it's 10. All right, they missed the extra point. Okay, all right, we're, we're right back in this. And then all of a sudden, that emotional swing of we come out after halftime, score a touchdown and then immediately get an interception on the next play. We got lucky from the refs. They did the no call. Right. And that momentum swing. And all of a sudden you're sitting there like, yes, it's happening. It's happening. I sat there and said it out loud. I said, holy shit. Joe Burrow's going to do it. I jinxed the shit out of him. But that, that <laughs> to me is like, what it felt. I just felt like, Oh, he, this is happening. This is, I've seen this happen. This is what's happening. Right. And then that, Absolutely horrifying moment in the fourth quarter where Joe Burrow goes down. I mean, there is a not insignificant chance that he tore his ACL on that play. And I know we're all doctors. We see a knee bend and we immediately go, oh, it's the worst thing ever. But they have not commented on it. He had to get extra work done. I'm sure in the next couple of days we'll hear officially. But the anxiety of this guy just brought us to the precipice of a Super Bowl was in the lead. We were in the lead when he gets hurt. We lose it in the fourth quarter and our starting franchise, unbelievable. Correct. Might have torn his second ACL in the same knee within two calendar years. Not even, I mean, forget two years, a year and a half. Yeah. Th- 14 months, 15 months. Like that to me would be weighing on me so significantly that I'd be like, I don't even know if, if I can be sad right now. Like, I want to be sad, but now it's like, well, we lost the Super Bowl and we might be fucked again.
1: I, I <clears throat> talk about a change because I had the same feeling that you had in the third quarter of, of holy shit, Burrow's gonna do this. Man, he is on fire. I don't know who's gonna stop him, right? I mean, again, you get the no call on the on the on the face mask there and 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 listen you got to just take the opportunities you're given right it doesn't matter you're like both these teams are not referees they have to play their hardest and however it falls it falls and like you you gotta uh, from a ram side right you got to stand up and, and make sure that doesn't affect your entire team and i kind of think it 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 i don't want to say did but like
0: it has to if rattle that, you if you're're oh, you're on that, if you're on the them. sidelines watching it has to
1: and especially when you've seen all the shit that Joe Burrows done in the last two months. Like I would, yeah. I, I was rattled as a fan of, and I wasn't even, I, I, again, I actually had money on Bengals plus four and I was still like, Oh shit, what's going to happen? Like, cause I had some money on the Rams too. Cause I'm an idiot. But the point is, is that like, when you get down to it, <clears throat> the momentum swing that happened in the third quarter, and then for what happened in the fourth to, to come about was just almost like, um, it's like, if you've seen a movie over and over and over again, right? Like what's your favorite movie? Like, um, uh, for me, fast five, I know that's dumb, but I love it. So every time I see, I see Brian O'Connor and Dominic Toretto hitting, you know, whipping around Brazil with a safe tied to the back of their car. I know what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, if they just got caught by the cops, I'd be like, what the fuck is happening on the seventh yeah. watch? But that's what it felt like watching the Bengals. It was like, no, you have done this so many times, and for them to just not, especially on that last drive or in the fourth quarter in general, not really be able to produce like they had, it was almost like, what, what am I watching? Yeah, right? Like, is this Joe Burrow? Is this Jamar Chase? What's happening? This line, like, everything was just out of sorts completely.
0: Well, and I think because of the injury and uh, because Again, we all love Joe Burrow. Nobody wanted to say it after the game last night. But Rick Neuheisel said it on the radio this morning, and it kind of confirms that I thought I had seen too, which was he looked a little scared. And not like scared as, as though like he couldn't handle it or he couldn't do things. He just was not the sharp, accurate, consistent Joe Burrow that we had seen through most of the playoffs, like Joe Burrow didn't miss a whole lot of guys. Like he either ran the ball, scrambled through the ball away. you know, throughout the whole postseason, throughout this whole run they had from beating the chiefs in week 17 up until now, it was just consistent, right? Like he had some bad throws there or he would throw it away, but he was the bedrock. And it felt like, especially at the get-go, it was a little rocky. And then, okay, they're going to a nice drive. Like the fact that the rant, like, uh, 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 Joe Mixon had 75 yards last night rushing. Like Joe Mixon was averaging five yards a carry. They ne- not that many carries. He he ran the ball well. Yeah, they needed him to run the ball. Like and for the offense to work, it was it wasn't just like oh we have the luxury of running. It was like no, we actually need to be able to run here in order for the offense to keep moving. Joe Burrow just wasn't great. And again, they're playing the best defense in the league. This unbelievable talented team with a bad offensive line who progressively got worse as the game went on. But he just wasn't the guy that I think we we were expecting time after time. To use your analogy of the movie, it's like, hey, I've watched Ferris Bueller a hundred times. And then the hundred and first time you watch it, it's Nick Cage playing Ferris Bueller instead of Matthew Broderick. And you're like, this actually doesn't quite feel the same. Like there's something, something going on. Imagine how great Ferris Bueller would have been with Nick Cage (laughs) instead of Matthew Broderick.
1: I can't even reimagine. It's like, yeah, he would have been like like 30. and principal caught him at the end right and he's like you know what your son missed school he's coming back next year for summer school and you're like the fuck he is no ferris gotta get away you know Uh, you
0: know what it is it's it's when they do a sequel to a movie but whoever the actor who was the more expensive option that they had in the first one who plays a character gets replaced and they just hope nobody knows it nick notices katie holmes
1: and yeah yeah in the in the Batman in the Dark Knight and everything, and all of a sudden it was like Jake Gyllenhaal's sister, and I was like, yeah. "The fuck is this?" Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> or Aunt Bev from Fresh Prince. Like, oh, we just replaced yes. Aunt Bev. Okay, cool. Like, oh, we just replaced Joe Burrow with whoever this you know 1980s high school villain is, because that's what Joe Burrow looks like. Let's be honest, oh, yeah. he looks like a 1980s Dude, high school villain. Um Quick side note that yeah. that uh,
1: Fresh Prince of Bel Air reboot with the fact that like it was them. Oh yeah, like, kind of shoving it around a basketball court in West Philly. And then it was. Uh, I don't know if anyone else caught this, but those of us who who know Philly well knew that it was "Dreams and Nightmares" by Meek Mill was like oh, the yeah. song playing, and I just was getting so hyped up. That was so cool. That's
0: the soundtrack of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, I yeah? I rewatched the the whole Super Bowl on Saturday night, the yeah. Eagles Super Bowl, yeah, and and then just obnoxious amounts of like ESPN content that's four years old from the day after, because <laughs> I just wanted best. I just wanted to hear Stephen A. talk about how good the Eagles were. It's so sad. It's like the saddest thing I've, I've done in a long time, but I did it. No shame. No, I,
1: it's the best thing to do. I did the same thing, but then I'm just hearing about like the Broncos really could put together, even without Peyton. You know, he yeah, didn't do much. Yeah. He could do it with Osweiler. And I'm like, fuck, God it.
0: <laughs> I heard Stephen A or maybe it was Greenberg saying, coming up after the break, do the Eagles stay with Carson Wentz or do they go with the Super Bowl MVP, Nick Foles? Oh, God. Right here on Get Up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, look, it, it's, um, I'm off, I'm off track here, but Joe, Joe Burrow again, he just wasn't super sharp. All right. For, for all that is to say that Joe Burrow just wasn't as sharp as I think we were used to seeing him. And, and that's okay. Because he was going up against a really fucking good defense. And even though he went on this incredible streak and we remember how perfect he was at LSU, we can't, we have to remember this isn't Hollywood. This isn't Ferris Bueller, right? Like, you know, you, you got to just in, go out and, and, and hope. And, and and sometimes the ball's not going to bounce your way. And sometimes you get a really bad injury. Like, if, if it comes out that he's seriously injured from that, that's awful. Like, and, and that that completely changes what this last two-month stretch has been where we've been loving up on this Cincinnati Bengals team. Uh, but more than that, or I guess in addition to that, is let's say everything does clear. You got a lot of work, Cincinnati. Because yeah. we went through it. You got a You got an easier run through the playoffs that you earned, but you also had an easier run through your division because Lamar gets hurt, and that Baltimore Ravens team was down three running backs before they snapped the first freaking ball of the first preseason game. Uh, well, I guess it was in the preseason that J.K. Dobbins got hurt, but you get what I'm saying. And so they're going to be bouncing back. You never know what's going to happen with the Browns or the healthy Baker if they somehow turn around and, and, and bring something back. We don't know what's going to happen with, you know, Aaron Rodgers or anyone else. You might look at Pittsburgh as a potential destination. All of a sudden, you get them right back in the mix, and that's just in your own division. That's not to mention Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and all these other guys that we're going to have to pay attention to. And Tennessee, who is just a beacon of consistency, and you're going to get healthy Derrick Henry again next year. Like the AFC is loaded, and we talked about how rare these opportunities are, and why it's important that they should have gone out and captured it while they did. But to compete with those guys, this Bengals team is going to have to make some changes, some serious upgrades and good offensive linemen Don't just grow on trees. You're lucky if you can find one in free agency, and then you got to hope that you get a good one during the draft. And you have to make sure you have an offensive line coach who knows what the fuck he's doing. Cause that seems to be like the one offensive position where a good position group coach makes all the difference in the world. Right. Uh, uh, Jeff Stoutland, widely considered Howard Mudd, RIP was one of those as well. And then, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but the Italian dude who used to coach in new England, you know, what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. 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 Um, Dante Scarnecchia, yes. Right. So if you don't have one of those guys, it's going to get increasingly more difficult. And then you think about, well, let's go back nine months. What did the Cincinnati Bengals do at number five? They drafted Jamar Chase. And I would argue that the Bengals aren't in the Super Bowl without Jamar Chase. So it might even be a moot point in terms of, you know, which one would have been better or worse. The answer was you need both. Which one are you going to spend the fifth overall pick on? And they picked wide receiver. But now you're not getting a slam dunk left tackle like Penny Sewell. And if it turns out that Joe Burrow, they made it all this way, they got to the Super Bowl, they took the risk and they drafted Jamar Chase and it paid off all season until the fourth quarter of the last game of the season with the Super Bowl on the line, that it comes back and bites them in the ass the most. It shows you how far away this team really still is from being a perennial contender with the biggest and best year in and year out because they yeah. do still need that anchor. Otherwise, Joe Burrow could have two torn ACLs in his first two seasons in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I I think it comes down to that. The perennial piece is is key, right? Like, I don't think anyone's mistaking this team for the 2001 Patriots, right? Um, Like, in terms of just this team, the defense played well, but this team as a whole is not as good as most teams that make it to the Super Bowl. They had exceptional play and overperformed in a lot of areas. And I hope for the defense's sake, that's a trend in the right direction. Um, They should have before the Super Bowl in the last two years. They had seven free agents come in uh, or seven new players on the defense in the last two years. And and they're really the best of the players. And then uh, on the offense, obviously, with Burrow and and those receivers are all pretty damn good. They have some spots they need to fill. But, you know, I I think this is where maybe you you take a page out of this is where it it relates the two coaches. Right. Do you take a, a page? out of Sean McVay's book, look ahead, trade some draft picks and say, we need to secure our offensive or our quarterback for the future with offensive lineman right now. I will trade a first round pick next year for a first this year, just to get a guard that I know is exceptional to make sure that we have what we need and we can grow him, you know, with protection. I don't know, but I, I could see teams making runs like this because when you look at it, right outside of that, the defenses play well enough. If they, Settle back down to what they were in the regular season. They're they're not going to be uh, making deep playoff runs, but if they can have this kind of rejuvenation again, I mean, really, it, you're right. It's the line, and I think for a team that's drafting that drafted such an electric quarterback who's already been injured, and and we saw this happen, right? Like, what did what did the the Chiefs do after last year? Right? Mm-hmm. They, I mean, Mahomes was running around like crazy, and still didn't get sacked seven times, uh, more to his athletic prowess, but. uh he, he obviously had affected the game a crazy amount. And this was an even worse performance by the Bengals offensive line than that was last year by the Chiefs. So there have to be some changes. Um, there really do. And, I, you know, that's got to start in free agency, I'm guessing, and carry through the draft in April.
0: Yeah. And, and the, the crazy, the, the tough part is Vito, because you're, you're absolutely right. I don't know who that guy is that they go out and get. You know, there might be, there might be some diamonds in the rough guys like, you know, Brandon Brooks, like when he was a free agent from Houston comes in completely changed, you know, that Eagles offensive line took them from good to great right now. The only like top tier tackle that might be available will be Orlando Brown from Kansas city, you know, and and yeah. And even still like we're talking about how, how, how much are you going to give these guys right now? You know, Andrew Whitworth did the same thing when he left Cincinnati, but he stayed in LA for five years. So. Know if you're getting it, I mean Ryan Jensen is gonna be a free agent from Tampa Bay, but he's a center, and not to say that centers don't matter, it might help you in a matchup against Aaron Donald, or or, you know, no no one's gonna help you in a matchup against Aaron (laughs) Donald, but you know, against good interior guys, and and it helps with how you set up your team and, and and blocking schemes and stuff like that, but there aren't any clear cut offensive tackles, anyone that you're going to go out there and be like, there's there's no Dwayne Brown, you know, who was unhappy in, in Houston and wanted to leave or Lyle Collins, right? There's none of those guys. And that's going to make it that much more difficult. And they're going to have to use a first round draft pick on it. But instead of drafting in the top 10, like they did, you know, or top five, like they did last year, the last two years, they're drafting at 31. Yeah. And not to say that you can't get a really high quality player there because, we've seen teams do that. There's always guys who end up getting drafted around that time and become stars. You know, Rashawn Slater wasn't even the first offensive lineman taken and he was like a borderline all pro starting for the Vikings this year or not for, uh, not for the Vikings, but for the chargers, right? for the, chargers. Um, the chargers took Christian Derisaw a few picks later and Darrisaw wasn't very good. He got better as the season went on. And then you look at the second round. Jalen Mayfield was an offensive tackle out of Atlanta second round pick. He was borderline unplayable. So that's yeah. the level of variance that we're dealing with here and waste if, if you miss on a first-round pick. And this was my whole argument about drafting Penny Soul in the first place. Cincinnati could have gotten one of those guys in the second round who were rookies who were good players, right? Because the wide receiver draft was so deep. Like, they got T. Higgins in the second round. And I get it's not Jamar Chase, but if you're getting a cornerstone left tackle that could have prevented something like this from happening, you know, where, again, we don't know for sure if Joe Burrow tore his ACL, but it sure as shit looked like it, man. And, and even the way he was moving around in the pocket and stuff, they ran the ball five consecutive times after he got back in on their next possession. After that play, it does. He didn't take a single like another deep shot. Everything was short passes. He was clearly not mobile. And then he took that hit at the end where Donald just ragdolled him to the ground. So it concerns me. It concerns me for the future because it, I, I, yeah. it's just going I, to get increasingly more difficult for them to get back and i think there's still a i think there's still a far gap between their roster and the bills and the chiefs and even like a healthy baltimore and some of those teams like i think they're in that class because joe burrow gets them to the doorstep but to get to like winning and doing it consistently you cannot have your your franchise quarterback this universally loved guy and unbelievably talented guy who just brought you to the Super Bowl you can't have him getting murdered on an NFL field no I I get it but at the same time like
1: he's definitely in my mind he is not there without Chase and I don't I I don't even think I don't even think they're in the playoffs without Chase so I I think that when you retrospectively look back like again I give all the credit in the world um To to just Zach Taylor and and whoever their GM is, I don't remember the name right now. Yeah. But either way, I give them all the respect in the world for what they the the just huge decision they made to to go against that. But I do think you can't let it go another season. Something drastic has to happen, whether it's Mm -hmm. a free agency or a trade with picks or the draft. You're right. Something has to happen because as a fan of the Bengals, you can't keep watching this, right? This is like when Barry Sanders kept running behind those Detroit offensive lines and you were like, what the hell, man? Like he's still second all time in rushing, but he easily would have broken all these records. If you just would have like, if he just would have kept playing and, and Calvin Johnson, it's just funny. I don't mean to rip on the lines, but like, you know, when you have franchises who aren't trying to support these, their best players, they physically take the toll. I watched the Calvin Johnson in the, um a football life and it was a doctor just talking about how, He was 240 pounds with a 45-inch vertical and was 6'5". And then he'd jump up, go flat, and fall right smack on his back. And they were like, yeah, you do that 20 times a season in games, Yeah, you're you're going to have issues. Yeah, it's such a weird
0: skill. Like being able to fall is actually a skill.
1: Right, and so for a quarterback, you don't have that ability, right, to even really control it. You're you're getting hit left and right and usually multiple angles. Unless
0: you're like the mobile quarterback, right, because we've said that about, you know – Kyler Murray, like Kyler Murray has to learn not to get hit. He has to learn because, and he has to be overly conservative about it. We said the same thing about Carson Wentz and Lamar Jackson has, had been one of the few guys who it's like, it never even looks like he's getting hit when he does get hit. And then one fluky ankle thing happens that is completely out of his control. And he's out, he ends up missing the rest of the season. Um, Joe Burrow was sacked 19 times in the postseason. It is the most of any quarterback in a single postseason in at least the last 20 years. The next closest player had been sacked 12 times. Seven more sacks taken. An entire games. He had already tied the record going into this game for the most (laughs) amount of sacks that a a quarterback's taken. Now, I get it. They played four games, whatever, but still. Still. That means you're getting sacked on average five times a game in the postseason. And, yeah, you st- and, yeah, and you still are got all the way to the Super Bowl with a lead That's in the fourth
1: quarter. That may be a record we don't see broken in our lifetime.
0: They're an all-time <laughs> terrible offensive line. And look, I'm sure no one feels worse than they do this morning. You know, both physically and emotionally and mentally and yeah. just all together. But I don't know. It just it just, it just, feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, it does. Because it's just going to be that it much is. harder. And yeah. the NFC, on the other hand, like, you could get any team any year like it really like there's no set long-term answer because like who knows how long this rams thing is going to run out because they did mortgage the future um it's just yeah it's it's just crazy to me protect joe burrow at all costs but it's just terrifying to think and i pray to god a report comes out by the time people are listening to this and i sound like an idiot for worrying so much but the way like that's that shot of his face when when you could tell it went from like oh my leg's caught to He's in extreme pain, and and like that close up of his face while on the ground, like it just it wrecked my heart, dude. Like it just absolutely killed me. So, prayers up for um for for our man Joey B. And um yeah, it's just interesting because it's a double edged sword that like that people looked at. Oh Penny Sewell or Jamar Chase, both are great. You're right; they probably don't make it to the Super Bowl without Jamar Chase. In fact, I'm almost positive they don't make it to the Super Bowl without Jamar Chase. But if not drafting it, you know, means, or if drafting Jamar Chase means that Joe Burrow had a second ACL tear, and who knows what could have happened, right? Playing the hypothetical game is dumb, but it's just going to be a what if. And what ifs and NFL franchises, you don't want that. You don't want what ifs.
1: No, but I, I also think that like in those rooms, they don't really deal with that either, right? I, I really don't I think don't,
0: at that level they do. Cause I think they I, do. I don't think it, I don't don't think they obsess over it the way that we do, but I, 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 but I, I do because what ifs turn into, are born out of things that actually happened, right? Right, Like what ifs,
1: what ifs also apply to different situations? I feel like if you're saying a what if about a team who just said one of the most incredible runs and made it to a Super Bowl and like had a chance with the ball to drive down and score a touchdown to win, if not a field goal to tie, like you can't, what if that, like that is the best you can possibly aim for in a season in my for, opinion for, for
0: sure but i i'll i'll say this the, the the glaring example that comes to mind is what if carson wentz doesn't tear his acl against the Rams? but you can't what if injuries you know but because even if you had a great line but it's but it's huge but it's player. a human thing like you it's not something you can can do or, or can't do it's a natural thought process You know, if the Eagles made it all the way to the Super Bowl and lost to the Patriots in a close game after Carson Wentz went down, people still, that what if steers into other conversations, right? And ultimately, even though the end result of all of that was the Eagles winning a Super Bowl, it doesn't necessarily mean that, or the end result was them winning a Super Bowl, but it also in a lot of ways cost them a potential 10 year long run with Carson Wentz being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Cause Carson Wentz was never the same that way. No, for and, sure. And so it, it's a, what if of like, Oh, but like, what if we got Penny Sewell? It's dumb. It's a dumb thing to say that because yeah, they're probably not in the Super Bowl. He's probably not even in a position to tear his ACL like that again, especially on that stage. And this is all assuming he did tear his ACL, but it's still something that's going to linger there. And it's going to be from that into like, we, we match up the what ifs with the outcomes and we try to play both sides of it. And it's not a smart thing to do. I'm not saying that, but it's just a human nature thing. Like, I don't think it's something that we have control over, you know? I, I think it does better
1: with time. And I guess what I'm saying is like the Eagles conversation is better now because we're four years, whatever it is, removed. There's a great on the same line. There is an incredible documentary. It just came out last week about the tuck rule. Yeah and the tuck rule game and it was Tom Brady talking to his old Michigan teammate, Charles Woodson. They're in the house. They are talking so much shit. If you haven't seen
0: this, you need to go watch it. I still need to, I still need to see it. I haven't gotten to watch it yet.
1: It's like Tom Brady with a guy who he obviously went to college with, and he has so much respect for. Yeah. And they're just talking mad shit about a play that obviously happened, but they go through what ifs. And at that one, you talk about what ifs, if they don't call that that way, Tom's like, listen, I should have saw that blitz coming. It was a rookie mistake. Basically. A second year player mistake. It's like I, t- t- 2002, I'm going in as the backup behind yeah. Drew Bledsoe, and he's not traded. And the Raiders went to the Super Bowl the next year, too. They're like, we could be back to back champions, right? We could have like a whole different situation. And so, anyway, the, the point is it's absolutely incredible to go through when you want to talk about what if they do a great job. But I think the point is with time, we'll be able to see, like you said, even with another week, we'll see how bad the injury was. And when yeah. another year, let's see what they do in the offseason.
0: Yeah. But um, I mean, like, but like, what ifs are literally a part of the grieving, like the grief process, like bargaining, right? That's like the true. five, the five steps of it, like that's essentially what, gr- like part of the grieving process is that. And maybe it's dumb to grieve a Super Bowl loss, but uh, fans, I, I think I fans, think fans do it very reasonable to grieve and, a Super Bowl. Loss. And players absolutely do it. Absolutely. The what if of Carson Wentz being like, what if I had been the quarterback and instead now I'm playing for a town where my backup in the next year, just won them a freaking Super Bowl, and it's like the toughest sports city to play in. Like, I, I think even though it's dumb, there are going to be people and, and hopefully it's not Joe Burrow and hopefully it's not people in the organization, but there's just going to be people having the same, you know, thought process that I'm having right now, which is just, yeah, but like, what if, you know, like wh- long-term, if the Eagles had lost the NFC championship that game that year and Car- but Carson Wentz never gets hurt. And it could have been, a decade or fifteen years of having one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. In that moment, when your team loses, you're like, "Yeah, but I would trade that. I would rather have fifteen years of consistency and being consistently good, if it means oh, this one Super Bowl loss that we got all the way there doesn't happen where Joe Burrow ends up getting hurt." You know, and it's again, it's dumb. It's dumb that we do yeah, it. It's, it's, I just think it's, it's I just think it's human nature. I just think it's human nature. Yeah. Um, all right. Last things here on the Super Bowl before we wrap up. Uh, the officiating. I'm not going to be here and be the guy that blames the officials. It just very much bothered me at the end of the game that we hadn't heard from the refs. The refs had had let them play all game. In fact, I had leaned over through three quarters and said to my roommate, I'm like, this has been great. Like we haven't even heard from the refs. Like they're just letting them play. It's been a clean game. And then the holding call against the linebacker, there, matched up against Cooper cup, which just looked like fantastic coverage to me a little tiny little bit of physicality was a stretch. And I hate that they, you know, if it was blatant, you got to call it. You know, like that was always my thing with the Saints play and, and the pass interference. Like it's blatant. You got to call it. Sorry. Like you just have to. I know people don't want games to end that way, but you have to call it if it's blatant. That wasn't blatant. And it just bugged me that we had a great game that I think got demoted to just a, a, a good game, a, a very good game, um, because the referees got involved there at the end but I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, you were, I mean, again, this is not taking away. I'm not saying that the Bengals right, got robbed yeah. or anything. No, I'm just yeah. saying as a fan, it sucks whenever you have a really good game and then all of a sudden it gets clouded by this really like, you're going to call that here. Like let's just play the game. Just let them go. Like that was a good play.
1: Yeah. The, the angle. So the angle from the sideline clearly showed good defense. And there was another one they showed later that was from the back uh, like the end zone view. Yeah. And What the defender's right arm on Cooper Cup's like right hip, kind of like it was a little. It was it was I I swear it was like an undershirt, literally like being being not I guess tugged, but like not a gripping motion, not like a pulling him back. Um, I thought that, yeah, like all in all, I I the back from the back angle, you could understand. You saw like a piece of cloth be moved. Yeah, so I get it. But there was a play Um, that was almost
0: identical to that. That was against T Higgins that didn't get called. And I said again out loud, I'm like, that's a good, no call. Like that was smart. I I get it. But a
1: lot of it depends on the refs' placement where they're at, what they can see. I, I, I didn't love the call. Right. I, I could have done with it or without it. It didn't bother me that much. But then again, like I also wanted this game to keep going. I wanted the Rams to score so that we could get a Bengals last minute drive to see what they could do. Um, in my mind, like obviously the most the the most egregious call of all of them, because that was like on a third down, they still had fourth, would have been different for sure. But the 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 no call on the face mask of Ramsey was like clearly for and sh- defined like a touchdown changing play. And I thought yeah. that one was the one where it was like clearly that was one where no ref was in a good spot. No ref was in a good spot to see that, and that sucked because every single person who saw it in in like I'll give Ramsey this as intense and as, you know, wild as that guy can get. He's usually not one to cry to the refs. If he's not like he, he'll, he'll own up to mistakes. Right. And, uh, and he was like, he didn't even want to pretend like he was going to go cry. Like he was just so like depressed. Cause he knew, he knew the play is going to stand. Right. And yeah. I think the, 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 like that one was one where you're isolated and everything and they, they couldn't see it. And what was wild is t- to your point. This was a play in the end zone where the field's condensed. There's a lot of guys in that in the end zone. And the ref is looking from the end zone through to this player who's making a cut on like the two-yard line. And he called that, which was like very even hard to see. I mean, credit to this dude's eyesight for even noticing the jersey tug they point out later. But I, I think that in general, like that should be a let him play. It's the end of the Super Bowl. Yeah. If Cooper Cup can get it, sweet. If not, okay. I, I don't think they're even though the, the, again, the, the shirt moved to your point, I don't think it was an egregious pull. I don't think it's, st- it, it didn't change his momentum. No. So if it didn't change his momentum, then like that, it, it wasn't, it wasn't
0: even like a big, like there was no like bit, like Wilson, the linebacker, like his hand was on his hip the whole time. Yeah. You know, it like it wasn't yeah. even like he pulled him back as Cooper cups running past him. Right. It's it was like, like his exactly. hand was there and he just kind of, you know, grip gripped by it. I, and you're right. The, the the Odell or so the Jalen Ramsey no call is why Bengals fans can't be like, oh, the ref screwed us here, right? Because it's just clear as day, you got away with one there that resulted directly in a in a touchdown. The only difference is oversight is one thing. Interjecting yourself into a game by making a call that doesn't need to be called, I think, is different, right? Oversights are going to happen. A good point. Yeah. And, and I can forgive that. Right. Cause it happens. And if you're a fan of the team that, that is on the other end of it, that sucks. But when a, when a official interjects himself into it on a play that doesn't need to have a flag called on it and they call the flag, that to me is, is where that line is. It, it gets a little more frustrating because miscalls calls happen, sense. but I think as soon as it's like, I, I can call this no play, or I can call this something because I think I might have seen something. So I'm going to call it. I would err in that situation to lean on the opposite side, which is don't don't worry about that. Just I agree.
1: It, I, I'm with you 100. percent. And what's wild is after that call, I think the Bengals had like two or three real holdings and like real. It, you could tell it just yeah. kind of opened the floodgate. Like we're exhausted. Let's just try not let him score any way possible. I
0: don't care what. But we Well, at that do. point, I mean, you know, they get the ball <laughs> at, the one, at the one yard line, or you know, they're getting the ball all the way down there. Like it's just, yeah, it just, it just was unfortunate that you know it was so well officiated, with the exception of the Ramsey play, which obviously is a huge miss. Um, and then, but other point, than that, both yeah, of I mean, them.
1: yeah, and then, and then, outside of that, like getting to the finish of the game, I, I had every expectation Joe Burrow was going to go tie it, at least with a McPherson kick, like that's all I wanted. And to see them on third and one run up the middle, I I didn't mind it because like, you might as well just run it twice. Or I I don't know what they were thinking there, but then yeah, Aaron Donald to get inside and to not let the running back get across the line. Was an incredible Ryan?
0: Yeah. While he's getting blocked, he just grips him by the waist and just, Mm -hmm. he just stops. He goes from running fast to stopping in his tracks immediately. And that's like the, but also, why is Samaji P. Ryan in the game? Oh, no idea. No idea there. How right? is it not like, Joe Mixon?
1: Like, and Joe is Mixon's it just to throw bigger him off.
0: Like and and I don't stronger. know what the deal was. Yeah. It I, changes I don't know. it, probably changes some of the coverage stuff because P. Ryan's they use more in the passing game. But right. I thought I thought that was a miss. I did too. Yeah. I that's really I the only major coaching blunder. I mean, that you know, the Bengals went for it in the first quarter on fourth and one. That wasn't all that shocking, you know. I, right. I was pretty confident. That's what they were going to do, but you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah. It's the the third and one play by Aaron Donald there. Um, and then again on fourth and one where he just busts through and completely wrecks that game or that play. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it was just unbelievable. Would love to have like, Oh, I'm sure he was mic'd up. So we'll hear it, but I would love just be in his head in that moment. You know, what are you, what are you thinking? Is it just like dead quiet in his brain? Like that's what I am. And it's just like the second, this ball snaps, I'm wrecking this, and I'm a Super Bowl champion.
1: Yeah. well, And McVay, they had McVay mic'd up, and that came out a little earlier. And it was like McVay goes up to Aaron Donald before that play and says, like, you're going to go make a play right here. Like, this is the moment that you've been talking about. And then yeah. he's on the sideline with his mic on. He goes, and he just goes like, 99's about to make this play. Aaron Donald's about to make this play. And I think you're right because Aaron Donald knew he was lined up one-on-one with a guard. And that's mismatch heaven for Aaron Donald. So Mm -hmm. he clearly just like literally moved the lineman aside and ran in and man, he literally moves uh, mountains.
0: Yeah. I mean, the guy's incredible. Yeah. There's not enough accolades and and I hope we both selfishly hope he doesn't retire. um, But he's, there's nothing else for him to achieve, man. There's, there's nothing else for that dude to achieve. Uh, other things here from the Super Bowl, and then we'll wrap up with how our bets turned out. Uh, halftime show. Hmm. Fucking, inc- I thought it was fucking awesome. I thought it was in fantastic. My opinion, the
1: best one we've had, like, I, I, and I'm biased probably because this is the best music in my, uh, the music I've liked the most in a Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah. But. Five artists all come and someone else tweeted something out like this: like, I'm gonna tell my kids this is this was the Avengers, right? Like, yeah, like when yeah. they're all standing up top. But it felt like that. It was like, Man, the Avengers changed movies because they had all these stars come together from different movies and make this universe. Mm-hmm. The Super Bowl halftime show felt like that, where it was we have all of these artists coming together and recreating some of their in some ways, some of their music videos. The 50 cent, like just dropping yeah, the 50 for drop me was, was incredible. Sick. That was, that was like one of the first music videos I remember watching. And like, uh, and, and there were so many good memes about that. Like, of course, 50
0: cent performs yeah. after two quarters. Love well, that. this was, uh, <laughs> this was the halftime show for millennials, right? Like yes. I, when we were yeah. kids growing up, it was the stones. Springsteen did one, right? Like it Prince did one. the Prince one is still the best of all time. So as great as this one was, nothing is better than the Prince in the rain. It's, it's the greatest, um, But this one, in my opinion, is is up there with some of the best all time. I'm a little biased. I'm a huge Springsteen fan. Love the Springsteen one. But this one, we are now the target demographic, right? And we've seen a change. Maroon 5, Justin Timberlake, Lady Gaga. uh, They've done more in this range. This is the one where they were like, unapologetically, we're like, we're not even trying to mend generation gaps here. We're going to who's our number one consumer audience. What's something different that we haven't done? We're in L.A. And I think they absolutely hit it out of the park.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw
0: like the New York post had a headline that there was a video of Snoop uh, literally in the steps about (laughs) to walk on top, smoke smoking a joint. And it's like, it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen because this New York post article was like "Uh, Snoop Dogg caught smoking before entrance to Super bowl halftime show. And my, I retweeted it. was just like, uh, you think, yeah like I i'm am amazed he sure. didn't smoke on stage
1: yeah I, I was gonna say i think his joint just ran out before he got on stage is what the news article should be because
0: like, yeah it's he, like he how, is, how doubt, is this care man it's, it's like what
1: yeah that was it's so like, famous though.
0: murderer caught murdering somebody <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah that's what i ex- have grown to expect out of this person like i love the the lighters <laughs> anyone so who good. goes into
1: a store recently the bic lighter like ads where it's like for for like home goods and it's like martha stewart lighting a candle and then it's just like and more and it's snoop dogg with a lighter and clearly you know what they're selling yeah, for yeah but.
0: there's there's an implication there that i think we can all kind of figure out right it's not rocket science i just thought that was so funny it's like yeah. person that you famous person who's famous for specific reason gets caught doing specific reason yeah before a national and also, audience, and it's like, yes, that's uh, this is that's what he does. he's Snoop dog what, what what what? He's in yeah, California it, too. Like this isn't some scandalous no, I, thing. I just no, it, it was awesome. So, I, and I the whole, loved, the whole I lo- thing was great though. Who who was your favorite of of the group? Which performance?
1: It was probably trey and Snoop just going in like that was just awesome. Yeah, it was so- uh, on a couple songs, uh and then. I I did obviously Eminem with lose yourself was cool when he came out and forgot about Dre and they like slowed it down and everything. That was good too. Um,
0: uh, Those two for me, what about you? So uh, Mary J. Blige was awesome. Um, As someone who doesn't know, I I just never really grew up listening to her. I listened to a bunch of her stuff here before the super bowl halftime show. And it's opened up a new musician for me that I'm, that yeah. I dig that I think is awesome, which is, which is great. And I always kind of figured I would, but you know, I just never really took the time to listen um, to me. And this is probably a hot take, but I'm just a big fan of his. I thought Kendrick kind of stole the show. I thought musically what he did. And then the transition from Eminem doing lose yourself into uh Dre and Snoop finishing it up. I thought that, that transition with the elevator dropping and and Eminem taking a knee, you know, doing yeah. the Colin Kaepernick thing like that was yeah. huge. And yeah. there was a, a report that said the NFL had told him not to do that. Good. Uh, and then do he it did anyway. it anyway. But then yeah. the NFL came out and said that, no, we, he didn't. All the rehearsals. We saw him do it. We didn't have any problem. I don't know where that comes from or not. There's probably some ounce of truth in it. Uh, but that transition in particular was really good. Anderson pack on the drums yes. doing the drums for lose yourself was sick. Um, but there was something the, the way that Kendrick on was shot was super cool. They did yeah. zoom in shots with a really, really nice camera. I don't know if you caught that. They did it twice, but it was like almost like a music video kind of like thing that you would see, but it's like a live broadcast. It was one of the coolest like broadcasting things I've seen for a musical performance where they changed the camera. They did like a zoom in and zoom out with the camera to give this like in your face and quick out kind of like feeling to it. It was, I thought was really, really cool. Um, And and I, I love all right. That song is one of the songs for like high school into college for me that just like always hits. So definitely Mm -hmm. scratched a nostalgic bone him and then straight into Eminem. And I loved the the day. I just, I love Kendrick. I just think Kendrick's absolute genius, but I loved all of it. Like that's, that's the thing. It's like, I loved, I loved the whole thing other than our internet, like crapped out halfway through and we got the buffering thing, which pissed me off, Ugh. but we just went back and rewatched it from the, from the beginning. Cause it, yeah. it was, uh it was worth it. And you and um, we'll say, it's a push for you and uh, Scotty there when we made our picks as to who would be the first one to come out. You said, I uh, have it in front of me. You said Snoop and Scotty had, uh Dre. And in fact, one of Scotty's bets was actually Dr. Dre being the first one. Technically, they did show Dre first. So, but I, I'll call that a push and say that you guys both you guys both got that one right. Um, all, right. all right. I appreciate and it. And I thought the set was awesome and and yeah Fiddy yes. coming out was was fucking sick. Uh and then any other commercials before we get to our bets from the Super Bowl. Commercials that popped out to you. Uh, besides the Bel Air one, I
1: mean not not many this year. I'm trying to rethink of it. Um, what what stuck out to you? Because the Larry
0: David, to... the Larry David one, I thought was the funniest. Where that Larry David, where Larry David was like a bu- like someone questioning yeah. great technology and its time. And then at the end, he you know he's he's like I don't know about you know, it's, it's a crypto ad, yeah. But then yeah. he's like I don't know about this, and and I'm usually right about these kinds of things. <laughs> it was just it was very well done. It was Larry David. Uh, the Austin Powers one was great because I love Austin Powers. And seeing that whole like crew back together and Seth Green, who just turned like 47 the other day, I'm pretty sure, Jeez. which is crazy to think that Seth Green is that old. <laughs> um, because in my mind, he's still Scotty, Scotty June. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'll say this I think as a whole, it was a pretty down year for commercials. Yeah, I mean,
1: I don't even like there wasn't even a big Pepsi or Coca Cola one, right? Mm. Like Pepsi usually just something because of halftime show, like I didn't see anything, yeah, alone like a funny commercial there were no Doritos funny ones like I don't know if it's right there's always the return of, a of
0: companies the return of the E-Trade baby though oh that was good I did like and that it's one. not the same but it's the same concept just in 2022 that one got me that one got me going I was like oh the E-Trade baby's back that's like an all-time yeah. commercial that one I was I was in on um yeah I, I just think it was kind of a down year the Seth Rogen Paul Rudd one was pretty good uh just yeah i think it was just kind of a down year for for commercials i don't know um but yeah it's i, I didn't see all of them too there might have been some really good ones i missed
1: yeah I, i'm i'm looking through a list now and like i have to say a, a lot of them even though people say were, we're good like you said the the um the wavy chips one was kind of okay like that was funny but yeah. it wasn't
0: the best i mean i don't it know I mean, yeah. it was just meh yeah just meh um All right, well, then that leads us to our bets for Super Bowl 56 and how well we did. Remember, we each got $1,000, did a mixture of prop bets. You put $200 on tails. It was heads. You and Scotty both put money on the national anthem over under. It went over by like half a second. Just absolutely brutal line there. Um, Mickey, Mickey, come on. So, uh, Vito, you you did come in last of the three of yeah. us. Uh, you had a thousand dollars to spend. You ended up with one hundred and eighty-seven dollars and seventy-two cents remaining.
1: Unfortunately, that uh, yeah, that sounds T- about took right. a bit of a
0: bath. The one that you did hit was a hundred dollars on the Tyler Boyd over. So, what <laughs> uh, one hundred and eighty-seven dollars and seventy-two cents? Well, no, you lost a lot of other money, but you're left with that. So, yeah, uh, I came in second. I hit two. Uh, I had the Odell Beckham Jr. anytime touchdown, mm. which was that, that one was great. One. And that was plus 150. So I got, I put $100 down on that. So that was plus, uh, that was 240 payout for me. Uh, I finished with $430.91 remaining. So right. a little, little bit better. Uh, still lost about half of the bets, give or take. Uh, and then the under was the other one I hit, which was, uh, that was 190 bucks. And then Scotty's the winner because he had the, Tyler Boyd over the hundred dollars, same as you. He had the under, same as me. But the thing that won it for him was he had Cincy plus four. And we gave him shit on Friday's pod. Being like, if you're gonna take the bangles, you just take the money line. Like, why are you spreading we'll it out? Like, yeah, like what are you 700- doing? Right. He he did it, whether it was intentional or not. He took Cincinnati plus four. It covered, and it ended up being the difference. He walks away uh out of a thousand dollars betting. With five hundred and seventy-one dollars and twenty-two cents. So,
1: I and dude, I wish I wish so much I would have bet where my mouth was on third on on our Friday pod because I had said to you at one point like I'm picking the Rams, but I'd pick the Bengals to hit you know to cover um, the spread. So I ended up betting both of them. But throughout the game, I was live betting and I I I tore myself apart. It's the classic gambler's mistake, and yeah. I'm so happy that football just kills you. That I will not be able to bet on football for a, a little while um, <laughs> until whatever is the USFL Arena League coming back. Whoever's coming back, well, I this, think the
0: USFL is is the one is. that's starting up this. Someone will try
1: again, and then I'll bet on my on them. And, the Rock
0: yeah. own, the Rock helps own the XFL. So the XFL is coming back again, the new that's look it, XFL. Yeah. So that one's coming, but the USFL is coming this spring. So we'll have two. I think the XFL is still a year out. Uh, and last thing here, the football season has ended. And uh, that means two things. One, I have an existential question for you because anyone who knows me knows that's what I do. Um, And uh, B, it means that our picks for the year have come to an end. So everything included, Scotty Miller, I would say between – he doesn't have the highest winning percentage. You still do. Um, But considering the amount of games he picked and still finishing over 500, Scotty finished 136, 132, and 1. Vito, you did have the Rams, um, and so that takes you to eighty nine, six. Uh, sorry, 90, 69, and one, and I finished nice. one sixty two, one sixty four, and one. So I was not able to get back up to the five hundred mark, but I picked over three hundred and thirty games and uh, did okay for myself. So we'll, yeah, we'll, man. we'll, we'll I, take,
1: we'll take that. We'll take. I that. think all in all, like as a pod for all the things that we went through and, and, and picked against spreads and everything? We did pretty good. But, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, just to say as a pod that we're really, like, we're we're in the positive. You guys listen to us, you're going to make
0: money. That's that's really... Well, so I think that's... next year, we're going to do, we're each going to, we're, we're going to do three picks each or something like this, where okay. we're, bringing, we're bringing favorites to the table. So we're not going to pick every single game. We might we might go through and pick them, but our official picks, we're going to have a difference between who we think is going to win when we break down games and what our official picks will be. Uh, To see if we do better Because there's still a chance We end up right around 500 um, But there's also a chance I feel like if I could pick Three favorites Or four or five favorites A week or whatever That I'll finish at a higher percentage Because there's a lot of games Where you're just like I don't even fucking know That normally you'd be like Yeah, it's a stay away But we picked them anyway Right Um, Last thing here As the season ends I told you before we recorded That I wrote down a question Um, And it leads to a bigger thing here As we wrap up the pod And my question to you is, were the Los Angeles Rams the best team in the NFL this season? I know they won. They're Super Bowl champs. Were they the best team? No, I don't think they were. In a year that was surrounded by so much consistent inconsistencies, they were the team that was the most consistent but was also a very inconsistent team. I think the, the bigger picture here question here and, and why I wanted to save it for the end is it's been an awesome year. There's been right. so many ups and downs. There's been so much more parody than we've ever seen. Right. I was talking on the radio today and, and some of the stuff we were going through was like, why did this season feel so special? Like, like college because it was in the context of college football and the host I was working with was saying like, I want college football to have this, what the NFL has to which I said to him, the NFL doesn't always have this. This year, and it may be it's a signal for what's to come with the, the talent and everything we have in the league right now and, and dawning of a new era minus Tom Brady. Maybe this does become the norm for NFL again. But it's not the normal. And I think when you go through and you think about the Chiefs and, and how up and down their season went, right? The team that going into the playoffs, we all pretty much universally agreed were probably the best team. You think about the Buffalo Bills, how great and dominant they were towards the end there. And Josh Allen and, and we forget that three months ago we saw them lose to Jacksonville in a nine to six game. And I and I know there's one offs and there's stuff like that, but that's just one example. The Bills struggled a lot this year at certain points. They, they weren't did. this unbelievable team start to finish. There wasn't one team that was like that all year. And I, the, the bigger picture here is I thought about Tom Brady retiring. And I thought about what other sports could you possibly have a guy be at the top of his game that late into his career? And what would the effects of it be afterwards? We're going to see it with LeBron in, in the NBA over the next couple of years. But the only one that really popped into mind was Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods has been golfing professionally since 1997. In that 20, what? 28 years or so that he's been able to go out and compete competitively. There has been generations of golfers who grew up watching him, idolizing him, wanting to be him. And as a result, as he is now well past the other side of his career, especially with the injury, we hope we see him again. The PGA is in as good a position as it's ever been in terms of talent on the course, on the tour, every single week. And I think that might be where we're heading with the NFL. And I and I hope and I do believe we've seen that in the NBA, especially because guys get to the league a little bit younger. But I think as we've had these this this generation where the medicine and the timing and everything added up that we're having this first generation of people play until their forties allows these people to grow up idolizing somebody and say I want to be that. I want to be better than that. And it's going to set us up. I hope for decades because the talent is just getting better and better they start yeah honing in these skills at younger and younger ages they do and and i think to your first question
1: no i don't think the rams are the best team but i also don't think uh, i'm gonna get up on the soapbox for a second and american sports if we wanted to reward the best team we wouldn't have playoffs like this in my opinion Mm -hmm. there's way too many teams it's over diluted maybe four in the nfl if that like again in the in, in european soccer at the end of your season who has the most wins is the best team and that's a very fair way to do it everyone plays each other the same amount of times mm-hmm. whatever in the nfl it's a little different right but the point is that we go into playoffs because we value especially in the nfl where it's one game it's not like baseball or hockey where it's a series and you got to win the majority of them yeah and the nfl Any given Sunday is a term for a reason. Like this, this is can, this can happen and it has, and it will. And I think that no, the best team didn't like, if you took, I guess the point is if you took the Rams best performance and the best performance of any other team, I think the bills could beat them. I think the chiefs would beat them. Right. I, I, I personally just think so. Um, maybe I'm disrespecting the Rams a bit here, but I, I think the point is that you don't need to be the best team for the whole season in order to win the Super Bowl, and that goes to your point of what you were saying earlier about teams all struggled at some point. Yeah. It's the team that can win the final four or five games that that wins a Super Bowl, and uh, that's why the Giants won when they were nine and seven. That's why you have all these offset teams. But I, I do think that we saw an incredible team win that has been a great team for the last few years. If the Bengals won, right? And that question was posed, it would be a definitely not, instead of a thoughtful no. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh,
0: And and, and it's not a like, hey, do we have a system in which the best team wins kind of question, right? It's more about the idea of parity in the NFL, something we haven't had in the NFL in a very long time because there was a major gap between the haves and the have nots at the quarterback position. There was. And but, I think it
1: goes to your point of like Tiger and Phil versus the
0: field. right? Well, and that's what I'm saying, right, is yeah. that they have now inspired a generation to which that gap between the haves and have nots at quarterback is closer now than it's ever been, making it that much more difficult to go on and win a Super Bowl, making playoff runs like what we saw this year more likely to continue to happen. And, and it may not be the best team every year. And that's, in my opinion, what makes the NFL so great and why people care about it. Because if, if, obviously if the Bills were in, it would be a similar story. But if Kansas City was in, it would be a totally different experience watching them play the Rams than what it was with Joe Burrow. And the fact that we have a situation lined up where Joe Burrow can take a 10-17 and 17 all the way to the Super Bowl on his back because that is the level of talent that we have in the NFL at that position. It only means better things for the league moving forward. And so while the Rams, I do think, top to bottom, probably were the best team in the NFL this year. I think when they, if they play their absolute best on both sides of the ball and line up against anybody else, I still lean towards the Rams because of how much better that defense is comparatively to all the other teams. But that's not always going to happen. And there's very valid arguments for the Chiefs, the Bills, a, a whole bunch of teams. Packers, yeah. I mean- Packers. I,
1: I, I'm it. with you. I, I do love the fact that we did have the Bengals run. Same with even just the Rams and their ability to just close out games that they, that they were able to do. Yeah. Um, I think for me, getting to your point, the NFL is especially with young stars, right? There was a huge gravitation towards Mahomes the second he he was successful because well, oh, we need this. We need this, right? We had McCaffrey and him, and it was like, okay who's the phrase the friend of of the nfl really because saquon even was for like a little bit he's a new york high draft pick but he got injured and he hasn't produced as much i think when you look at justin herbert and you look at joe burrow and you look at these young quarterbacks um even though mahomes is that guy that next guy you always need another one because it's the steph curry effect or any real star player right when you're the star for a few years in a row and have a lot of success people want to see other people come up and yeah the fact that we haven't had a huge gap, right? Like we had this, this core group of quarterbacks that was Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew, uh, uh, Drew Brees, uh, then, and, and like Big those, ben. and yeah, Big Ben. And I would even take him out and put in like Aaron Rodgers when he came in. But like those guys carried the NFL for so long. And I'm really hoping that this young infusion of talent, specifically in the quarterback position, like you're saying, like I personally believe Herbert will definitely make a Super Bowl by the end of his career him and burrow and josh allen are all guys that can make super bowls and should and i'm really excited to see how the afc plays out here because i don't think we will see a dominance like tom brady had on the afc and with tom and payton right and drew Brees in the nfc like i don't think we'll see dominance like that uh over a conference like we had for so damn long i hope it's more varied
0: yeah and, and i'll say this too like it's not that tom brady didn't have talented counterparts right like phil rivers guys they just never made it to the Super Bowl or won a Super Bowl because of the Patriots, not just Tom Brady. Right. Yes. Right now, team. we don't have a Patriots. We have a bunch of different teams who all have really good quarterbacks, and any given year could be the healthy team, right? Like the Kansas City Chiefs could be like the, the Ravens this year, next year, where all of a sudden all their guys are getting hurt and it's a lost season, you know? Or, or, You know, you sign a right Paul Pro Bowler or, you know, you hit on the fifth round pick who ends up being a starter for you right away. There's, And that's when it's going to come down to these little things. But I don't think any one team is that much further ahead of anybody else that's going to change it. So I just – the reason for posing the question is to basically say, I think the NFL is in as good of a spot as it's ever been. And that's saying a lot when we talk about the NFL. But then just five, six, seven years ago – we're talking about the concussions and is football going to change forever and the Danny Canells of the world. And I love Danny. He's my guy. But the Danny Canells of the world coming out saying, you know, these these anti-football, you know, warriors out here trying to ruin the game and, and make a two-hand touch. It's like, dude, we're like five years removed from that. And the NFL is in such a better place. It's insane. And we're just going to get I, – i my prediction, I think we get more and more of what we saw in the 2021-2022 season, which was – a ton of parody, entertaining games, great playoffs. And at the end of it, the most important part, a deserving champion. Because that's why we all watch it. That's why we cover yeah. it all year for that yeah. moment last night. I agree. So. And I think we just had so many incredible
1: moments. If any every single team, I don't care who you rooted for, had an incredible moment this year. And um, we saw some historic shit from Tucker's kick to this Super Bowl mm-hmm. run by Burrow and and I just think that from top to bottom, from red zone week one till Super Bowl uh, last night, it was absolutely an incredible season. I, I I don't know, you know. I'm glad we had that extra week of
0: games. It, it seemed to have made it more exciting. And um, I do think just, in hindsight, it's the perfect amount because now I'm like, all right, whew, we can put football down, cue up the little bow wow. We're playing basketball <laughs> like Mike. That's my that's my basketball tradition. As soon as as soon as the NFL ends, I'm going to start watching like Mike every oh, year. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna. I think that's a new bit we need to do on the pod, which is just every every once in a while we just come up with new traditions that we start, and then we'll more than likely never follow through. Yeah, a year I like from that because we're going to like... completely forget. Tradition
1: tradition of the week. Let's start <laughs> tradition <yeah. laughs> of the week. Yes,
0: the read-off well, my, from tradition Our tradition of the week is week. we're
1: going to go watch some like Mike blast the bow wow get it Mm. popping we're Mm. we're gonna do this tradition
0: that's right all right well it's been a hell of a ride we will have scotty on uh friday's pod you will not be with us uh and we'll get scotty's takeaway who uh, as a niners fan you can guess was probably not too stoked so for my buddy Vito, the most sincere and heartfelt thank you to everybody who's listened and joined us here on the pod and reached out and everything it's been a hell of a football season the nfl draft is in 72 days Let's get ready for it, boys. Let's get ready. Uh, For Vito, I'm Jeff. Have a wonderful rest of your week. We will talk to you on Friday. And as always, take it easy, everybody.